Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about the year of Linux on the desktop. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) That would complete 2020. (laughs) We would like to thank 42 Lines for sponsoring this episode. 42 Lines is a DevOps consulting firm specializing in embedded SREs, observability, cloud migrations, cost control, security practices, and team mentoring. The industry is moving fast. Make the right moves with the experience of 42lines.net. So all jokes about the year of Linux on the desktop aside, this time we're talking about Linux workstations, both work and personal. Um, I'm kind of the reason we are doing this episode for a bunch of frustrating reasons. We'll get to it in a little bit as we as we walk through this, but a lot of folks have been starting to look at moving onto Linux as a primary work environment in our field. And as I was surveying the field, I realized that for personal stuff, especially for desktops, there's very little that Linux can't do. So it's true. I've been telling people that for years. I've been using Linux as my primary desktop since like 95 and it's come a long way. As usual, Ken has a solid beat. So I've I've used it some, but I, my biggest problem with it has always been that I, I love to tinker with it. I see a new window manager, new desktop environment. I go install it. I go to mess with it, and I break my system. And also, this was further back when uh, proprietary drivers, there was a big debate between proprietary drivers or mainline drivers. and We can still have that debate. That debate well, still okay, rages. Well, you still have the debate, but, <laughs> but at least the, especially with the integrated Intel video cards, the Intel, the open source driver is very good. But you know, back in the day, you pretty much had to run the NVIDIA drivers or else you didn't get all the fancy, especially you know the comp is. Back in the day, you did have to do some research on yeah. which which graphics hardware you wanted if you wanted accelerated graphics. I right. ran Matrix cards for years oh, because absolutely. they were well supported. They released their yep. specs. Well, also back in the day, you had to actually recompile the kernel for hardware support frequently. <laughs> and now that yep. generally doesn't happen. Most stuff yeah. is by default enabled. I built a Linux machine for a personal desktop a couple of weeks ago. And all of the hardware that I had that was plugged into my Mac doing audio work and everything else I just plugged it into Linux box, and it's all supported just out works. of the box. So I myself had a incident a few weeks ago, and I decided I would upgrade my home Linux rig. And my home Linux rig was long in the tooth, and I figured some extra RAM would would make it a bit more bearable, especially since I'm doing all of my work at home nowadays. Somehow, in the process of installing more RAM in the thing. Um, the motherboard failed, and the motherboard refused to post and refused to initialize the RAM. The motherboard was over six years old. So while I wasn't particularly planning on replacing my system at this point in time, I ended up putting together a new system because I need a functional Linux machine. Yeah, and my story is that the iMac that I bought in early 2013 has finally gotten to a point where it is unusable without cutting it open to taking the hard drives out of it because they're failing in a, a rather spectacularly curious way. The but hard drives are failing or your motherboard is failing? The hard drives are failing. Smart errors, but they won't. They're popping in and out. They're connecting and disconnecting. And whenever they, they connect, they cause errors. And mm-hmm. so you can't actually use the machine anymore, even boot it off of an external drive. Now, to get to them, you have to cut the screen off the machine because of the design. 
but honestly i'm not i'm not angry about the machine failing after seven years of intense use like this is a well-built a well-designed machine my problem was that it suited my needs perfectly if i could just replace the hard drives and i can't weren't you also having interesting crashes with that machine that's a different machine um (laughs) the bluetooth stacks up on the imac as well and that was frustrating but again i don't really like bluetooth keyboards and mice so okay i'll just keep on going i have yet to try bluetooth anything with a linux desktop and it's one of the things that i really would probably like but i don't like using wireless bluetooth keyboards anyways and not much else has been necessary but i like using linux as a desktop for the ability to test and play around with distros and options and everything else i have three full-blown autonomous Linux installations on the same machine using the same volume group, which I'm going to open a can of worms of of discussion in that my base install is still on LVM, Um, mostly because it will just work with everything. Why do you hate the data? data LVM was pretty cool back in the day. (laughs) It was was definitely a better place to be for a good decade. Yeah, and it's... And my root volume group is the OSs, and all the data is in ZFS. I'm I'm messing. Yeah, I was about to say if you if you treat the OS as, as a throwaway thing, and you have your home uh, your home directory on ZFS or some other better storage, then I don't see a problem with that. And that's exactly how I've built my Linux workstations for a really long time. At this point, I've usually used an SSD drive for the OS uh, swap. Um, maybe, you know, a level two arc, um, but that's fast. That does the distribution. If that fails, I really don't care. It's really annoying if it fails, but I can get a new SSD and reinstall the distro. Right. My storage, I care about my home directory is on a ZFS array. And I went kind of so, the other route with my new machine, but I'm going to finish up the other reason that I decided to do this. I've been using a Mac since my dad brought one home in 1984. So I'm literally a lifetime Mac user until this machine, I had purchased two other machines to use as desktops. that were not Macs, and neither of them lasted more than about a month and a half before being turned into Linux or Solaris boxes that didn't have screens plugged into them because I just didn't want to deal with it. So I've been a Mac user forever, but behind me on the desk, you can't see this obviously because this is a podcast. I have a Mac mini that if you don't put it together exactly right, the SATA cable wiggles itself loose. So I finally bit the bullet and said, you know, I'm just going to build myself what I care about in a machine that I can repair for significantly less than I would pay Apple or anybody else, honestly, you know, Dell or whoever makes machines these days. I'm going to build a machine that I want that does what I need it to do, because most of what I do is web browser, terminal, Docker, other Linuxy things, and then audio editing and video editing or um, photo editing. And I have solutions for both of those, and they work very well. And I've always been a fan of of your work just sort of issuing you a MacBook to work from as that yeah. kind of being the standard working environment for for our culture, our our career. And I'm really starting to doubt that because the moves that Apple has made recently, and frankly, the hardware is more and more and more expensive and i 
I live and breathe in this field, but I can't justify the cost of the Mac hardware. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, that's a disappointing thing, because I'd say, what, maybe 10, even 15 years ago, yes, you were paying an, the you Apple tax, the Apple right? tax, but it was worth but, it. It, it, but it was also within reason. Like it, it was, you know, you could you could argue the extra couple hundred dollars would be for you're paying for OS X. Um, but now solid aluminum bodies, quality well, right. hardware, quality software. They controlled the entire per, right. the entire platform. Yeah. It was a superior hardware software platform that was worth that tax. It just worked. That was the thing that with the laptops, you could you would buy a MacBook Pro. Everything worked flawlessly as a whole unit with the OS, everything else. And that's what you paid the extra for. Right. And now if you want more than the the base amount of RAM, which is horrible, because um, I think they're still shipping like 8 gig or uh, yeah, 8 gigs is base, which in my opinion, it should be 16 gigs. But maybe that's uh, maybe I'm whatever. But, you know, you want to double that or go up to 32 and you're paying. I think the 32 gig option for like this, the newer 16 inch that came out is close to like. Uh, $800. And that's just insane to me. Nearly $1,000 for an extra 16 gig of RAM. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my thing is... They've missed the boat because there's not a Mac Pro for developers or sysadmins like us who would spend, you know, several thousand on a workstation that's a good workstation. Yeah, and for me, the the real kicker was when Apple basically said, the only thing you can upgrade in the machines is memory, and they threw that away as well. So it became... All you do no, is user serviceable parts. Yeah, and that was that was kind of the impetus behind all of this. And we can talk a little more about the direction of the industry and stuff later. Um, I think that's th- Apple's moves away from Intel will force a lot of other people to look at this option in the near future. Um, but I wanted to talk a little more about the actualities of running Linux because right so. So, Brendan, what, what operating system did you choose to go with as your desktop? So, a little history. The last time I ran Linux on a desktop was RHEL 5. So, it's been, it's been a number of years. <laughs> and I knew that I was going to be a little out of my depth in terms of doing the, the more advanced configurations. I needed to kind of ease into it. I, the the back end stuff I know really well. and how to write you know, system unit files and how to do all those things. But getting video drivers and getting audio drivers and getting other pieces loaded I was a little apprehensive about so I went with just the Ubuntu LTS that dropped recently and then I loaded Ubuntu Studio on it because it has a bunch of the audio stuff prepackaged and I figured that would be the safest and easiest way to get low latency audio configured reasonably correctly um nice. it didn't really <laughs> but that's audio um See, I'm just using the, the, kind of the, the default Ubuntu setup. I did drop GNOME 3 and put LightDM on it because As you should. I was having some rather extreme video performance problems. Not a bad idea. Yeah. And now I'm running a 4K monitor on a Linux box with high DPI partial resolution scaling, and it's clean and slick, and it works. That was going to be my next question because yep. I know that's always been a thing for me, it's, it, and I was still running Linux desktops before you know, all this stuff came about, it was, we were still running CRTs, but uh, even then to me, it was difficult to get a very, I was still running like high resolution CRTs and it was difficult sometimes to achieve a nice high resolution with crisp, uh, sharp fonts and, and everything. So I'm wondering how does 4k look on a Linux desktop now? Well, it looks great. Um, some applications don't handle it quite well because they're expecting 
you know, normal resolution, then when you tell it you're at, you know, 38,000, whatever, it, it just freaks out. But resolution switching on the fly works now and doesn't seem to be problematic, which is really kind of nice. And again, it's just clean. I, and I also didn't buy a dedicated graphics card. I, I'm using the onboard, the, the chipset, the i7, 10th generation. You know, How the, many monitors are you running, Brendan? Just one right now. Just one? Yeah. Um, I was going to pull up the thread of using the embedded Intel graphics because um, doing graphics well on Linux has long since been a sore spot. Uh, and at this point in time, the embedded graphics from Intel and AMD both have uh, open specs. They're openly available to communities. Both communities support uh, Linux, graphics, Linux graphics drivers in the kernel. So both the Intel and AMD embedded graphics work well, are accelerated, support multiple monitors at 4K. Yeah, my funny it's thing is... It's really hard to want something else when the, the embedded stuff just works so well. I have an embarrassment of riches in terms of screens here. I've got so many screens, it's, just, it's not even funny. But I don't have any full-size DisplayPort to DisplayPort cables, and I don't have any dual-link DVI to anything other than mini DisplayPort cables. So <laughs> I've got a whole bunch of screens. Cable desert. Yeah, i got to buy some adapters. But that's that's not a big problem. But yeah, the hardware support is really fantastic at this point. Um, the only reason I've looked at buying an actual graphics card, and again, for Linux land, this hasn't changed in a long time. The Radeons have open specs and are well-supported. And you buy a graphics card if you need, like, four or five monitors. But otherwise... I am still using an old NVIDIA card, mostly because I don't do that much graphic-intensive stuff, so I haven't bothered that I'm using their proprietary binary driver. You can debate the, oh, it's evil, it's proprietary, all that. It works. It installs. I don't There's have an open I mean, source driver that's only partially accelerated. And yeah, if I, you're not doing a lot of stuff, you won't tell the difference. Uh, the proprietary driver brings in all the features, and yeah, it just works. It does just work, but um, like when I'm using VLC, it can use, if you have the proprietary, it will offload to the card with the open source. It does not, and it's not the only thing that has a little quirks like that. I find it runs a lot smoother and better on the proprietary driver. It may be that the car, because it's an older card, it may be that the new driver, does, they just haven't bothered to deal with the older hardware. And if I got a newer NVIDIA card, it would work better. But right now, I've found that the proprietary is the better driver. But yeah, even with the NVIDIA cards, it's easy to put together a system that works well. Yeah, it's been no effort. I mean, I just, it's a package that's available. I just app installed it and I was done. And no effort. Okay, one of the things I was really apprehensive about in, in doing this and taking this dive is that I've been a Mac user for so long. I'm so accustomed to everything just works all the time. And I looked a little bit at building a Hackintosh. And I decided that it wasn't going to be worth the trouble of doing all the research and all the extra pieces to find really particular bits of hardware when I could spend less money, get better parts, and just run Linux. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll demo the apps and take the plunge. Um, 
and part of the reason I didn't get a dedicated, a dedicated graphics card was I didn't want to experiment on myself and my budget to find out what the best option was. And I figured I could always add one later and the embedded Intel stuff was there and people said good things about it. So one other question I have, because I'm a longtime Mac user as well. And so for me, going to another operating system, the hardest thing for me will be keyboard shortcuts. Are you remapping are you using like you know control c or i mean or is it alt c or whatever it is uh, in linux windows land or have you tried to like remap keys to like command like what are you doing for keyboard shortcuts so i'm already broken in a different way um i've been using pc cherry mx um blue or cherry mx brown keyboards for years now and if you get the mac ones they're 150 bucks and if you get the cheap PC ones, they're 70 bucks. And so I buy the cheap PC ones. And then you have to remember to remap the keys because they're different. And then you forget to, and then you realize it's not, it's not worth the hassle. And your fingers start relatively quickly figuring out that, no, 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 over here, I use a different set of keystrokes. And over there, I use another set of keystrokes. This is further compounded by one of the things I do at work is I shell into a Windows VM, and it takes an entirely different set of modifier keys. And I'm amazed how adaptable my fingers have become in, I'm on a Linux box, I'm on my Mac, I'm on a Mac virtualized, I'm on a Windows machine, and it, it just figures it out. So I've not done any um, intentional remapping of keys, and it all just works. I'm in the same boat. I use the same KVM for my for working from my Mac desktop or laptop to switching to my Linux desktop, and I don't have any problems with dealing with all the keys. I don't, however, in the Linux window manager, do a lot of key shortcutting. I am embarrassed I spend a lot of time pointing and clicking. Um, <laughs> it's okay, Ken. Yeah. But however, I, I encourage folks to dump GNOME because it's usually... Absolutely. Uh, not the interface you want for jobs that we have. But modern window managers, especially if you look in the tiling window manager land, have configurable keyboard shortcuts. So basically you can create and build the keyboard shortcuts that map to your fingers or map to your brain and build out what works well for you, depending on which keyboards you have. There are, um, there's a daemon that comes with a BSPWM. Um, that is literally just a keyboard shortcut manager for X. That's all it does. And you can use that daemon with GNOME or any other um, any other window manager. And you have the same keyboard shortcuts you know, across desktop environments in Linux. Can you, because one thing in my research, because I, I took a similar route with sort of like what Brendan did, although I, I went a different route. Um, but I was researching Linux, and, and one of the things that I, I couldn't really nail down was, is there a way for me to, in OSX is very easy to say, okay, for this modifier key, like Command or Alt or Caps Lock, I actually want it to be Escape, Command, whatever. You can you can remap them very easily globally. In Linux, I couldn't find a way to easily say, I want the Alt key to be Control or Control to be Escape or, or whatever. Can you can you do that with that utility? You can remap keys uh, with uh, X mod map. Yeah, I was. Uh, and to that's throw global that out. within X. Yep. I use that on my keyboard. I'm going to include in the show notes 
a an blog article about my keyboard um, because it's old. <laughs> In fact, it has drinking buddies. Um, but my keyboard does not have um, the Mod 4 key or the Windows key, um, whatever you call that key. So I remap uh, cap locks to the Mod 4 key. And I use um, the X keyboard remapping stuff, which runs every time I, I log into X and I don't even think about it. Part of me really wants to get one of those old Sun keyboards that had, you know, Control and Alt and Meta and Super and whatever. Like, mm. it had like five modifier keys. A dedicated break button, I think. <laughs> those were cool. That would be helpful with Vim, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's why I asked, because I, I, uh, I remap Caps Lock to Control. And I have my I I have ruined myself because now when I get on somebody else's machine, and I go to Control C or Control D or something like that, I I'm hitting Caps Lock and it's only hitting C and Jared, Capital C. We're both wrong. Caps Lock should be Escape. <laughs> and, and honestly, this is why I used to customize like my OS 10 environment heavily in my OS 9 and OS 8 and et cetera before, and I got over it in the last I don't know five ten years because. I change machines frequently enough that relying on behavior that has to be set up in esoteric ways or gets broken by the OS updates or gets broken by a package update or whatever, it's just not worth it. And so I gave up. I just said, okay, I'm going to use whatever I'm given by default for things like global modifier keys. Just fine. I'll, I'll take whatever it is and not get too down into the weeds about it. One of the things too uh, with Linux desktop and the modifier keys is you have to think not just it's not linux it's which window manager are you using because so much of the stuff on the desktop is are you in gnome 3 are you in kde are you using mate or are you using i3 like jackson you know there your experience can vary so widely over which window manager you try decide to use in fact you can make your own experience yeah. that sounds like an ad for linux and or not an ad. What's the opposite of an ad? Yeah, but, a warning. Yeah, they're a warning for Linux. I was about to say, some people might not like that. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It can be. I, I use Mate, and it's it has all the features I need, and yet it's simple for the most part. Not as simple as i3, but it, you know, it's what I I have settled on works the best for me, and I'm the most comfortable with, and, I'm, and I don't evangelize it because it's personal that it works for me i have no clue whether it will work for you and you'll be happy back at the big you jack and i had a coworker who used fwvm2 oh yes oh yes and i have much respect for that but i mean he came up on solaris when and even before solaris honestly so he was old school and he really liked the way it worked and he's like it takes almost no resources i can run it 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 is never causing me a problem in terms of resource consumption on the box that is the magic thing about stepping away from the GNOME or KDE common desktop environments. Once you turn off all the flashy, crazy stuff, it is amazing how much of your PC you get back. I'm, I'm not trying to go back down to Motif or something, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a limit. Got to be reasonable. So, so, Jared, Motif was this... Oh, so, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of the uh, uh, of, of Motu, the the hardware manufacturer that makes all those uh, audio interfaces. And that's actually my audio interface. Which moving along, the, the the next big thing 
for me, the scary thing after we get back past video was, can I do this podcast on my Linux box? And so I have a Motu M2 interface that my microphone's plugged into. It does, you know, 48 volt phantom power. It does all those things. It's super low latency. It's a really nice interface. And I plug it in and everything just sees it and sees the ins and the outs and sees all the bits and the returns. And it sounds amazing and clean. I'm using Ardor to edit and record. Um, I am having some audio routing issues though. And I, I knew this was going to be a painful point, point of doing Linux. On the Mac, one of the things about the Mac is they've got super low latency, super configurable core OS level audio stuff that's just figured out. It's been figured out for decades. So it works. And on Linux... We have pottering audio. I can make it Not work. Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works, usually, if I don't touch it too much. But apart from that, all my AV stuff works. So watching Netflix on my Linux machine, getting on Zoom works perfectly fine. All of that just on Apple Music works via their website with their DRM plugins on their website. Like it all just works. A lot of the teleconferencing services that have a browser based experience uh, may check your headers to see, oh, we don't support Linux. Ha 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 ha. But if you can uh, uh, teach GNOME, or excuse me, if you teach Chrome or Firefox to send different headers, usually everything works. Skype works under Chrome in Linux. Um, and I've had experience with some other ones that work just as well. So sometimes the experience isn't quite what you would get with a, a native fat client for some of those teleconferencing products. But Zoom works really well. And knock on wood, everything I've tried so far has worked perfectly and flawlessly. Now, I did not buy a video camera for this machine because I have a MacBook Pro that work supplied me that I use for my video conferences. And it's like, okay, they're, they're out of stock because of the pandemic and I'm not going to bother with it right now. But everything I've tried just works. Um, are you running uh, ZFS for your home directory or file system or even your boot I'm volume? I ZFS for everything. Well, every, everything except for the UEF, okay. UEFI boot partition itself. Um, I'm booting off of the, the boot pool is ZFS mirror, and the root pool is a ZFS mirror, and my storage pool is a ZFS mirror. I've got a pair of the Samsung 970 Plus SSDs, the ones that are rated for super high write endurance because that's important to me. Um, and they're mirrored for my... It's Linux. You can build a storage system that's near enterprise quality and you have protection of your own data versus the random SSD Apple has shoved into a Mac Pro. And Apple's SSDs are faster. They are faster and better engineered. I'm not going to at all disclaim that. But I can't put ZFS on the... Sorry, you can put ZFS on a Mac and you can boot off of a ZFS mirror on a Mac. No, it's not working. Yeah. But you're getting into dragons. Like, you're getting into real serious dragons. And I've got four drives in this case. Two are NVMe SSDs on the motherboard and two are spinning Iron Wolf, you know, NAS, data center, whatever uh, drives. Um, CMR, not SMR. <laughs> That's another <laughs> episode. I've got space in the case for six more drives. It, it's, it's perfect. It, it's everything that I want. Um, in, in building your own machine, you get to balance 
your needs against the money you're spending. So you're not going to get a really fancy graphics card if you're never going to play video games on it. Because I'm not a gamer. I'm not going to I'm not going to play video games. And considering that the integrated GPU works just fine, I don't feel the need to buy a better video card to make my desktop experience smoother. Part of our job usually the more RAM we can have in our systems the better. And you can just order RAM off of crucial.com and install it. 64 gigs for 240 bucks. Did you get ECC? Uh, this board doesn't <laughs> put ECC. But then again, until you get to a $6,000 Mac, you don't get ECC either, right? Or sorry, 5000 The The iMac Pro does ECC. A- exactly. Yeah. And and so are you, and that was going to be another question because I know that you have that that file server there. So your home directory, is that local to your workstation or is that on the NAS? It is local to my workstation. And in the most recent Ubuntu LTS release, because they've been doing ZFS for a while, they've added ZSys. I think that's what they call it. It's an it's a snapshot manager for ZFS that's kind of wired into Ubuntu or into apt and the other pieces. So it automatically snaps your boot pool and your root pool when you do package installs or you do upgrades to make sure that you can roll back, which is awesome. Oh, that is awesome. And it gives you periodic time snapshots of your home folder or home directory, data set, whatever they call it these days. Uh, it's 2020, and we finally have modern features from FreeBSD. <laughs> but it also means that I can ZFS send my home folder to my file server and just have it happen. So if my if my machine dies and goes away, I have a streaming replication to another machine. It's async. So it's not going to be up to the second, but for the most part, okay, that's very nice. It's fine, yeah, because I uh, I actually have a Linux server that I'm running, and I have ZFS there, but I basically just have all my stuff running on the server, so I don't I don't have duplicate, you know, I don't have another machine yeah. running. Are it, you mounting so. over NFS, SMB, AF, AFP? What's what's your? So actually, what I decided to go with was I actually have an iPad Pro, and I just terminal in through uh, an app. And my my desktop air quotes is an iPad Pro with a terminal, and then everything runs on the server. Um, the the trade off there just being that I didn't want to spend a lot of money on a laptop, and uh, you know I already have a work machine, so from a personal machine, I'm not spending eight hours a day coding. I'm doing a mix of things. I'm consuming media, but I'm also doing some coding work for personal projects. So. Uh, you know, with Apple adding cursor support to the iPad and really, honestly, I feel like giving a lot of love to iPad OS. I felt comfortable buying an iPad Pro uh, and letting it be my terminal, uh, so to speak. And so far, it's been some, it's been po- mostly positive. Now, I would not want to use this as my daily driver, at least not yet, Um if you context switch out, I mean, pr- both prompt and I think the other uh, good terminal uh, is uh, Blink. Uh, both of them actually use a, a hack where they ask to use your location data, and that's how they're able to actually keep a socket open. So you can context switch to other things, and you know, iOS can memory kill those apps. And then when you go back to them, the terminal session is still there, um, but there is a slight delay, and uh, the other biggest complaint that I have, especially someone who really loves keyboard shortcuts, 
is I've I use Slack obviously use Slack a lot. Uh, the keyboard shortcuts are slightly different on uh, iOS than they are on the Mac. There's not feature parity between the Mac app and the iOS app. Um, so there's just little bugs like that where it's it's annoying, but it's it, you know it was worth it to me to only spend a thousand dollars than to spend two thousand dollars. Yeah, and I was spending fifteen hundred instead of spending three k. So similarly, yeah. half the price. So you're not doing any now, graphical I mean, remote. You're just doing um, command line. Right. Right, exactly, yeah, because you know, I want to be able to do Docker, I want to be able to do my development work, Go, all that kind of stuff, so I just set up little environments on my Linux box, uh, and uh, so I was about to say, I guess I, it's unfair to just say I just spent $1,000, because I spent more on the server, but I already had that laying around, because I've always had a like a media server and, and whatnot, so... Um, but no, I don't do anything graphical. Every, anything that's like graphical or I needed to interact in any way, that needs to be an iPad app. Uh, and so fortunately, pretty much anything that I do nowadays, there is an app for the iPad. Uh, and if I push comes to shove, I do have a MacBook still around that I could fall back on. Okay, that makes sense. Um, that actually brings me to my last kind of the big category of apps that I do on Linux that I needed to have work and work well. And I am pleased to report it does work well. Um, I'm a amateur photographer. I've been doing this for a long time. I've amassed a collection of three and a half terabytes of, of images, about 200 and something thousand in the library. And I've been using Lightroom for time out of mind since I switched over from Apple's, um, Aperture, which was awesome, but slow. And Lightroom has served me very, very well. And I needed something that was going to work on Linux and Lightroom's not on Linux. So Darktable, I'll stick a link in the show notes as well. Um, it is a, it's Lightroom sort of clone, so it has a similar workflow to Lightroom. And I dabbled with it a couple of years ago on the Mac and performance just wasn't there. And I was like, oh, let's, <laughs> it has imported my entire photo library over NFS on the Linux box. It is fast, it is performant, it does all the things that I wanted to do. It's honestly just as fast, if not faster than Lightroom was on my uh, Mac Pro, and it is free. I'm probably going to toss some money to the Ardor devs and the Darktable devs just to to thank them for what they do, because I'm not going to be the, I'm not contributing back right now. I don't have the time or the resources to get into that kind of programming. But those are my two big kind of worry points. And they work really, really well. How's the feature parity between Darktable and Lightroom? And because disclosure, my wife is a f- professional photographer and uses Lightroom, but <laughs> so she she will be discouraged by the keyboard commands not mapping over. There's yeah, a lot to relearn there. That would be the and big killer. I've got a lot of muscle memory and Lightroom keyboard commands that I'm trying to relearn right now. Um, all of the things that you do in Lightroom are in Darktable. Curves and base corrections and color mapping and all of those things are there. The UI is not nearly as polished, obviously. And some of the modules could use a little more attention to detail. They do have a philosophy of non-destructive editing, just like Lightroom. They read the Lightroom XMP um, sidecars. So you can take your edits from Lightroom into Darktable and go with them like all your crops and your color balances and those things just come in so it's a good place to start from but it's a different workflow so i would not advise 
a professional, especially just, just switching over and assuming it'll work. I would, I would do a couple of projects and see how does this look? How does this feel for me? But they're using a bunch of the open source libraries for doing um, raw image processing and, and those pieces. And it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, this is, all, this has all got me thinking along as I'm, my wife's IT support. Uh, she is using a cheese grater, which support was an old cheese grater, not a new an cheese old, grater. Yes. The old, old cheese grater. And if Mac OS stops working on it or not getting upgraded and apps leave her behind, it's still awesome hardware. <laughs> and I, I'll just turn it into a Linux box. I love a good machine that uh, you build and is stable and lasts years. One thing to keep in note is these machines are not designed to have an infinite lifespan. Even though we're, we no longer use the cheap electrolytic capacitors, uh, capacitor fatigue is still a real thing. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's what happened to my former PC and it sounds like what's happening to one of yours, Brendan. But that building your own PC, being able to repair your own PC, doesn't remove you from having to also think about lifetime, what needs to replace. I should probably replace my spinning rust hard drives every three or four years and, and doing some of that basic maintenance. Oh, yeah. I mean, if my Mac Pro wasn't restarting... Well, I wouldn't have replaced it. But if, if it was otherwise salvageable, I would still keep on using it. It's a great piece of hardware, even though it's old. And really, but, yeah. because you've built your PC, you know the components that make it work. You know about how the processor and the motherboard and the memory interface with each other. That is the foundation of, of modern computing, of modern cloud computing being cloud native. So that teaches you so much as an operations professional, as a developer of how computers work and it informs what you do with, with your coding projects and your career. So I think that's also a, a really important foundation of moving forward in your career as well. Absolutely. People who assume the computers will work forever worry-free kind of scare me because nothing is like that in life. So as a quick point of note, other kind of longer term things to think about is Apple has announced that they are moving their platform processor again. They're moving off of Intel and onto Apple Silicon, which is essentially ARM chips that they've designed. And I bought my machine and assembled it before Apple made this announcement, but Apple making this announcement doesn't change my decision. I... Yeah. Oh, no. Um, and I've, I've been through previous Apple chip transitions before. I mean, I've been using the Mac since literally the beginning. And it's always kind of a scary time, but I don't have the free cycles in my personal life to kind of bridge that change. So my work machine is going to be, is an Intel Mac laptop, and it's going to be that until it gets replaced and probably buy an ARM-based machine when it gets replaced. And I don't want to be buying a new machine right now on a new architecture that has different tools and different things and different trade-offs virtualization has been figured out and other pieces may not quite be where I want it yet. So I am really pleased that I'm doing this. My, my next machine four or five years from now may well be another Mac, but this decision right now for me is the best. 
And honestly, my next machine Arm will probably is a big not. part of the future. But yeah, being able to control your, your workstation and your computing environment and match it to, say, what your employer uses. And honestly, if it this is largely my comfort level, but my next machine probably won't be Intel. I'm probably going to go AMD next time if I'm, if I'm building another from parts machine. And well, honestly, if AMD is still around, they I have being, not um, built an Intel based. All of mine have always been arm. Interesting. Just because I'm cheap. Arm or AMD. AMD. Or AMD. Yeah. Well, I've also buy tons of arm because I like playing with pies, but Intel and arm. Oh gosh. Intel and AMD have always battled back and forth and competition keeps keeps the, the, the field working and keeps improvements coming. So we have, frankly, a lot of to thank that competition, that environment for. Also, final kind of notes and things for folks in the, in the audience. When buying a power supply, get a good one. I've had more power supply problems over the last couple of years, and I've had hard drive problems, knock on wood. And... Yeah, go I've, ahead and spend the money and get a good one. I've don't, been in the same don't boat. Cheap out. All the problems I've had in the past few years have been power supply related, and it's also they're the hardest to trace back to the source and figure out what's wrong. It is worth every penny on a good quality power supply. Get it over spec. Get one that is rated like you know eighty plus gold or whatever. Um, the estimated wattage on my machine, I want to say, is. 290 or 310 watts because I'm not running a, a crazy graphics card and I bought a 600 watt power supply and it's got the whole economy whatever bits in it or uh, not economy um, eco-friendly bits in it so when it's not running hot the fan turns off and the fan never turns on like I can watch it and the fan never turns on I'm not stressing it and it's going to last me I'm hoping a long time that way my desktop is Frankenstein and I accumulate the pieces from all over the all other machines and due to this i have 10 spindles in it and so i have a 800 watt gold and it is now the thing i worry about the least because it took me a while but i spent a good bit on a power supply oh yeah my file server and, has a lot of spindles and it's got a big beefy power supply in it too but i just i so, Jared, have you ever given serious consideration to running a graphical Linux desktop or laptop? I, I mean, I did debate doing that before I did the iPad Pro. Um, and the biggest thing for me is I, I still wanted something mobile. And I don't know if Linux on the iPad is anywhere near as efficient as either a, a Mac OS or uh, a yeah, Mac OS laptop or a, um, an iPad Pro. Um, so mobile is still a very important thing for me. And then also... Unfortunately, I am in the Apple ecosystem, so iMessage, uh, those kinds of things are are still somewhat important to me. Uh, so having a platform that would allow that to continue to work seamlessly uh, was important to me. Um, not saying I wouldn't have switched over to it. It's just that, you know, I, I again, uh, things probably are better. But back in the day, <laughs> uh, I know that, you know, sleeping a laptop on Linux was, uh, it was risky. Whether if you opened the, the lid again, would it, would it resume? Uh, did it crash or did it just burn up all your uh, power, all your battery, just keeping the state? So, yeah, Apple has done a lot of work on power. Yeah, it, a lot of really. Crazy so it's work. hard to go from, especially a MacBook Pro to a, a Linux laptop. I, I know that they have made strides, and and it probably is good. I just, um, 
again, I was, I was for my particular use case, I was like, I really would like to stay in this ecosystem if I could. And I really do think, and, and another thing that really made me lean this way is I really think that Apple is going to bring a development environment of some form to the iPad. Uh, I was really hoping it would be this year. It, it didn't come to fruition, but uh, I really do think that uh, soon we will actually have virtualization uh, like you have in, in Mac OS uh, I agree. 11. I think Apple is definitely merging their the platforms, iPad. which is another reason I wanted to not be in the mix on this transition. And we're going to see where they land on the other side of this. I, ha- I, would, I would play significant money on them requiring sandboxed App Store apps on the Mac at the end of the transition. And that's not a place I'm very comfortable yeah, it, it does look, especially from the UI design, that the aesthetic, that they're obviously moving towards a, a iOSification of macOS, or at least trying to unify all of their UIs, which I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. And yes, does that mean that they're going to remove the the super user aspect of, of macOS? You know, can you become root? Can you still do things without everything being... But we're, we're, we're going back into yeah. that, that direction, which is not the point of the episode. Um yeah, I'm honestly just amazed at how well all of these pieces work. I've been hearing, again, I've been in this business for a long time, and I've heard over the years horror stories about people running Linux on the desktop or Linux on a laptop, and there are those brave few security researchers who, who do it, or there's brave few developers who, it's not that bad, guys. It really isn't. I wouldn't give this to my grandma, but I'm an intelligent guy, I work with Linux all the time. Having that same environment just works for me. Being able to customize uh, my desktop environment to my own work patterns and in keyboard shortcuts. And the application support is really there now. So, yeah, I declare it the year of Linux on the desktop. Well, I was just going to agree. I, I, I've, I've never stopped, but the level of pain has come way down from... FVM 95 days. It's it's a lot, lot better. And everything just works anymore. You plug a USB whatever on there and it's recognized in the right driver loads and off you go. I mean, it they everything does work anymore. You don't have the... Uh, Jared's absolutely correct. I'm in the Mac app ecosystem too. And not having messages and, those, and all the iCloudy stuff is the great hindrance to me adopting it as my work desktop because I like being able to respond to my wife when she pings me during the day with just hitting messages on the same machine I'm working on right there. Yeah, not have to like pull out your iPhone and type on a screen. Uh, yeah. Exactly. But otherwise, it's getting close. It is, it's so, I've really considered hard my current work machine laptop is just about to Apple Care expire, and I don't know if I want another one. Well, also back to the point about you know the kind of the average user. The right machine for the average user at this point is either an iPad or a Chromebook. Most people don't need or want the complexity of any desktop, Mac, Linux, or Windows. They need. I have been recommending Chromebooks to your friends and family. I have a couple even myself. They just They're work, wonderful they work really well. And I'm going to have to third that. And I, that's what my kids have are Chromebooks. And if 
the next time cheap. some family members asks who's not a technologist, that's what I'm going to recommend. Yeah, here's a device. You sign into it with your Google account. If you if it blows up, you get another one and sign into it with your Google account, and you're back to where you yep. were. Also, on the, the year of Linux on the desktop thing, Google fixed this. For, for a long time, Apple was the largest vendor of Unix platforms in the world, which I thought was really funny. Um, but Google is now the largest vendor of Linux in the world in terms of devices because Android is Linux and it is by far the dominant operating system. Um, Microsoft recently made some comment and if I can, if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes, but basically they acknowledge they have 14% of device install share for, um, end user devices globally, not 98, 14. They've gotten that far behind because of the explosive growth of mobile platforms, iPads, tablets, Android phones, everything. Like, all of that stuff is so much bigger. So, really, Linux is the dominant operating system now. Yeah. Just people don't realize Yay, we won! (laughs) And that's, yeah, not not the way we thought we would. Like, even by a long shot. We would like to thank 42 Lines for sponsoring this episode. 42 Lines is a DevOps consulting firm specializing in embedded SREs, observability, cloud migrations, cost control, security practices, and team mentoring. The industry is moving fast. Make the right moves with the experience of 42lines.net. And please take the time to rate the show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It is the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send, your th- send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brenda Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Chuck Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thank you. Good night.